This episode is all about answering viewer questions, next on Talking Cars. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Talking Cars. I'm John Lincove. I'm Gabe Shanhar. And I'm Mike Monticello. And today we're going to do kind of a rapid-fire episode where we're going to answer user questions, viewer questions, people who hit our YouTube site and leave us uh, some responses in the comments. Also, people email them to us or uh, go to CR Cars Facebook site and ask us questions, whether it's something we talked about in the podcast, something that was in uh, CR Magazine or on ConsumerReports.org, or they just have a random question, they send them in the customer service. We're gonna dive right in. First question, if CVTs are so awful, why are they used? I'm all for going green, but come on, for an extra mile or two? Why not use a six-speed automatic? Of course, no one should end up with a lousy transmission, such as the Fiat Chrysler nine-speed disaster. So, so Gabe, first we need to go over, what is a CVT? Okay, so uh, continuously variable transmission is an automatic that is basically stepless. It has no fixed ratios. It goes continuously. So the car doesn't go like, like you know, the, with a torque converter automatic. Exactly. Nice sound effects. I, yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. It's the <laughs> Anyway, um, so, uh, well, the implications are that uh, sometimes when, uh, when, when you tromp on the throttle, the revs just jump high before there is any discernible acceleration. For most people, when you're just loafing around and you're not in a hurry, it's no big deal. No one ever pay attention to that. Uh, but for some people who tend to be in a hurry and like driving, it's just unpleasant. And that's uh, the CVT, like the rubber band. Yeah, it's the exactly. rubber band there. Effect, it's like, like a snowmobile. If you've ridden a snowmobile, that's what it's like. Sure, sure. And so that part of it is the annoying thing about the CVTs. But I will say, they've gotten better. They've gotten considerably better than when they first came out. And now they're doing these, these like sort who? of artificial steps. Uh, a lot of them have, a Subaru has it, where they, you know, instead of just going all the way up in revs, now it'll bring the revs down slightly and then and then down again and then down again. Right, mimicking a regular automatic, exactly. which makes it a little more palatable. Back to the... Which though exactly. might okay, make good. you yeah. say though, okay, so if you're trying to make it like a regular automatic, why not just have a regular automatic? Well, th that's the, the advantage of, uh, of the CVT is of course uh, optimizing fuel economy and performance. And, uh, and, and it works for, for the most part, uh, and they are usually less expensive and more uh, <clears throat> than an eight-speed automatic transmission. To manufacture? To, or uh, for or the manufacturer. The okay. Yeah. And uh, they are very common. Uh, a lot of Japanese cars uh, like to use them, and uh, they kind of suit the, the uh, low-speed driving style that's common in Japan. Well, in, in So there's a lot of geography that gets going into the transmission choice. Fair point. We're going to jump to the next one. I've owned Porsches, Audis, and BMWs. Love them all, but tired of the initial and then maintenance costs. So I think the purchase price and then the maintenance costs. I've been surprised by the Elantra Sport, the Hyundai Elantra Sport. It's decent looking has all the grown-up goodies, great handling for front-wheel drive, enough torque, great warranty, and so inexpensive. What do you folks think? Mike? You know, I actually kind of liked it. I mean, we had one here that we rented, uh, and um, I liked the engine. It has a turbocharged four-cylinder with a, a little over 200 horsepower. So it had decent power. Uh, it was fun to drive. It handled pretty well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will say sometimes I think I get thrown off by uh, when a car has a manual transmission that immediately, usually, if it's a decent manual transmission, already makes it more fun to drive. And the one we rented did have a manual transmission. But I was, I will say I was impressed. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Compared to what other vehicles? Like 
Um, well, compared to just the regular Elantra, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which has uh, an engine that is just only so-so. But, but you, you wouldn't put up with a Porsche out of your BMW. No, absolutely not. But if this guy's trying to save some money, right, okay. uh, it's not a bad choice. And also, you know, I maybe an even better choice is the Elantra GT Sport, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the hatchback sort of European-ish version, which, which looks even better. Um, and is more useful because of the hatchback configuration. So I think that would be the fun little car to have. So point, counterpoint, because I already see the almost sour <laughs> puss on Gabe's face he's like, here. He's like, he's like, Mike doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, uh, let's just say there are no free rides uh, in this world. So uh, if you want that level of driving engagement and you're used to Porsches and Audis and BMWs, I'm not going to be someone who's going to tell you, yeah, you're going to get the same kind of experience in the Hyundai. I mean, with all due respect to Hyundai, right. and they make some pretty decent cars and SUVs, uh, the Elantra GT, it's, it's meant to be uh, like a high-performance small sedan competing with the Civic Si and with the Jetta GLI, for instance. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember driving it, and I was, I was pretty underwhelmed. I think maybe that was the problem. You were underwhelmed, so I went in be ready to be underwhelmed, and then I was a little, you it's know. A, I, 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 here's the thing: is that this guy is not saying he's he's you know done with those cars. I mean, he, it's not like he he knows that this isn't that level of a Porsche, uh, BMW, right. whatever. He knows that. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, there's no question that this is not at that level. But for, for, for I think for what it is, it's 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 not bad. It's probably gonna be a reliable, economical, yeah. sportyish car with a little right. bit of a little bit of fun. Not a lot, but a little right. bit. Right, and but the refinement won't be there either. For, no, you know, BMW or Audi, no. even if you're talking an A3 or BMW uh, two series. Right, so. has a great warranty. Yeah, it has a great warranty. If, I mean, you know, if I were him and I wanted to save some money, at least on the purchase price, go with a Volkswagen GTI. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, or even the, like you said, the GLI. That would you know? be more of a real, uh, you know, he'd get more driving satisfaction. Right. Yeah. No, no question about that. Okay, so so we're going to go from small cars and we're going to move to the opposite spectrum. How about full-size SUVs and HD trucks? I'd like to see something different. Uh, you know what? We just happen to have a lot of information on HD trucks. We bought four new HD trucks or three HD trucks for all three and a half, three and a half heavy duty trucks. Talk about the S Nissan XDs at the yeah, Nissan, Well, you know, you're giving it away. Sorry. So some of it was for use of our facility staff because we needed to update uh, their, their trucks. So we bought uh, the Chevy Silverado 2500. We went and bought the Ford F250, F250 mm -hmm. and then we bought the Ram 2500. And we also purchased, like Mike said, the Nissan XD. Titan XD. Titan half. XD. Right. That's and, the half truck. And all with diesels. Right, all diesels. All turbo diesels. Okay, so so first off, we do cover also SUVs, full-size SUVs. I mean, we've got Chevy Suburban, uh, GMC Yukon, uh, you know, that also Expedition Navigator we tested, they're getting up, they're redesigned. Um, and then there's also the Sequoia, it's a little outdated. Um, it's pretty ancient. You know, long in the tooth, but the test is still valid because they haven't done it. And it's still recommended, we still exactly. recommend it. It's and we just did the uh, Armada, the Nissan Armada. Right, right. and the Armada, which is uh, a less expensive version of the Infiniti QX80. So Gabe, tell us a little bit about what we found with some of the HD trucks, because you can't get fuel economy information anywhere on those trucks from the government and the manufacturers don't talk about it. Right, uh, because they're not required to. Uh, but yeah, we found that uh, these HD trucks, I mean, they're, they're excellent uh, work vehicles, uh, but they are uh, quite rough and tumble. Mm -hmm. I mean, the ride is going to beat you up. Uh, the, there is some diesel clatter. Handling is so clumsy. I mean, they're ultimately secure, but uh, they're just not fun to drive. But talking to uh, the our staff, yep. uh, people that drive them every day and are used to these kind of uh, vehicles, 
the overwhelming uh, majority is they like the Ford F-250 the most. Well, yeah, the yeah it was kind of funny. I mean, th they kind of, I think they liked the engine in the Ram. They liked the transmission in the GMC and the Chevy. Uh, and they liked the ride in the Ford F-250. So I think that what they said was if they could combine all those into one truck. But I, I'm going to have to disagree with Gabe on that they're not fun to drive. I actually enjoy driving these big trucks. To me, the bigger, the better. Um, and uh, these are a lot more refined than they used to be. These diesels are much quieter. Mm -hmm. uh, they still have a crazy amount of power. Um, oh, and sure. the interiors are really nice, you know, like that. You know, you know what I mean? They're just a really nice, comfortable interior. Yes, they, they ride stiff. I don't know if it's... Growing up with Tonka toys, you know, I had a whole collection of Tonka toys that I played with till I was 20. I mean, till I was five. Yeah, I'd see um, them on your desk still. So and, okay. <laughs> and, but there's something about, you know, I dreamt of, you know, I wanted to work on a, on a, a construction site, driving those huge yellow dump trucks. And right, then right. I wanted to be a long haul truck driver. So I still have this affinity for, uh, for uh, big trucks. And so I kind of enjoy getting up in one of those things. It slows me down, especially I, with the I diesels. I bet you use the Jake brake all the time with a Ram. Oh, the exhaust brake? Yeah. Absolutely, I do love that thing. The other ones, they don't, they don't make much sound. The Ram actually makes a real Jake brake, exhaust brake kind of sound. Like a semi-truck. Yeah, right? the ones when you hear them going down the highway. Not to the obnoxiousness of the semi-truck. And, and, you know, I mean, they're, in, in, in super fairness to the trucks, they are designed to carry huge payloads, you know, and tow 10 to 12,000 pounds. So like, they're going to have stiff suspension. Like they're our bicycles. To, right, like a bicycle, like a carbon fiber bicycle. Yeah. We'll get to that in a couple questions. So stiff suspensions, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it very high is. tire pressure. They I mean, are they're designed for, for load capacity. And they are hard and to get in and out of, no question about right. that. The the, hard and their braking uh, performance is total below par. Well, and that, that's a key thing. I mean, I don't think a ton of people go out and buy a 2500 because it's, well, it's bigger than the 1500, so I'm going to be more macho. Some people may want a 2500, they, they, they tow a little more often, but, you know, it, it does seem to be a lot of people buy 1500s, the smaller half-ton trucks, and they don't use them as a truck as much. They use it as almost a family vehicle and with occasional towing. These, you're not going to see that as much, but if you do drive them around, on a daily basis because it's a part of your job. If, it, if there's nothing in the bed, they are gonna bounce around like crazy. You know, if you have tools, if you have a lot of stuff, you have a work rack in there, it's gonna help a little bit. Not to mention that uh, it's, uh, it's a pain to park these behemoth. Yeah, the, the turning radius, it, the parking. It helps to live in the country. There's no question about yeah, that. And true. that's, you know, a lot of us live in the country, so it's not. Well, we'll bring you back to the city on this one. Love your videos. Can you explain how active noise cancellation works in vehicles? They'd be perfect for the Jake brake. I find <laughs> headphones with this feature to be unpleasant. Noise or the lack thereof is quickly becoming my number one priority in my next car purchase. Uh, having used you know, the, the, the headphones and also having gone into the, the soundproof chamber that we have at, at, uh, down at our headquarters in Yonkers, it's, I could say it's not the same. You, know, you put on those, those headphones and it's almost as if you're in a very weird space, almost like outer space, you know, no one can hear you scream type of thing. Um, it, it, it's, it's odd, and you have to play music. You don't want to just have this, this thing over your ears making you feel like you're in an echo chamber. In the car, it, it just is playing a frequency, like the headphones, but to drown out certain frequencies. So the engine, for example, especially in cars that, uh, where they drop off a cylinder or two, you know, some cylinders for fuel economy, and there's that weird harmonic resonance. So they'll, they'll play, they'll have a different frequency come through the stereo and cancel it out. But you still have the road noise, you still have some wind noise, you still know you're in a car it's not a total vacuum of sound. The one interesting thing though, is how they're using, or manufacturers are using the audio system to put in noise and not just to cancel something out. And primarily for performance sounds. 
Yeah, so, uh, yeah, don't ask me anything about the uh, <coughs> headphones, but... Uh, well, yeah, your Hanukkah gift the, is going to be, a, you know, some bows. There's technology to um, counteract certain unpleasant noises uh, in cars and pump uh, frequencies that counteract uh, those uh, noises through the, the car speakers. And uh, also, um, the manufacturers can add some noise, like in a sporty car, for instance, if you want some different exhaust uh, noise or uh, some induction noise, then uh, they, they can produce that artificially. Yeah, BMW Baker, does Baker, it. I was going to say BMW does it with the M5 through the speakers. They, yep. it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a recording of the car, of the engine sounds. It uh, go, goes through the speakers. The Mustang has an induction sound tube that uh, pipes, you know, extra sound into the cabin. And I mean, one of the reasons why they have to do this, actually, or why they feel they have to do it is because they've insulated the cars so much that not as much noise gets into the cars anymore. Mm -hmm. So I get that. Uh, Good from, or bad. Also, from a purist, also tur ahead. turbo engines are inherently quieter. Right. So you have to kind of increase. They that, don't sound uh, like much. Yeah. I mean, and, and, but. You know, I'm, I'm torn because on the one hand, I want the real thing. You know, I f it feels weird. Even with the Mustang, you know that it's being piped in artificially, mm -hmm. you know, or it's not supposed. I mean, there's just a tube there that doesn't need to be there. So on the one hand, that bothers me. On the other hand, it sounds fantastic. So I'm good with it. But I just wish it was more all just real. You know, maybe it has to be exhaust. That, that, that's the easiest way to do it. So, so maybe it'll be good up to the point where you buy the four-cylinder turbo and it pumps in the, eight, the V8 exhaust? Then I will definitely will not like that. Okay, we've said that. Um, next question, I've learned to drive on a 2004 uh, Chevrolet Malibu Max hatchback. I prefer midsize or larger cars, but like the added storage space that I found in the Max. That car was great. Why don't we see many larger hatchback cars? Can they just not compete with crossovers and wagons, or is there something else? Well, I mean, what do you, I mean, larger cars, the larger hatchback cars are kind of expensive. Audi A7, Porsche Panamera, Kia's coming out with the Stinger, which is a hatchback. You know, that won't be as expensive, but still up there. Um, Buick uh, Regal. The Regal the Tour X is coming out, which is a, is a wagon. Um, and then, you know, BMW has a 3 Series Gran Turismo. Um, but I mean, the reason why is the small SUV and even the midsize SUV, but the small SUV has become the new family vehicle. Yep. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the biggest SUV market there is. Um, and so that's what people are buying. If, if their choice is between a wagon or an SUV, they're usually gonna go with an SUV because it sits higher, it's got more space inside because it's got a higher roof. So that's why I think they've gone from, and look, I love wagons, uh, but this is why I think people just find SUVs more useful and the Max. Oh. Well, I was the Max was was actually a good version of the Malibu of that generation. The rest of it was forgettable. But that they actually did a little bit to it, and it was one of the first, one of the early cars that had sliding second row seats. You know, and it was unique, and it made it, it gave it a selling point. But yeah, aside but, from that, but ultimately the customers just didn't get these cars. They just didn't understand what is it. Is it a sedan? Is it a wagon? What is it? And when the customer is confused, it doesn't sell. I mean, and you can say the same about the Toyota Venza and about the Accord Cross Tour. Excellent yeah. These things yeah. come and go, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's rare things to maybe find a little niche for sales, but it's a big investment for not a lot of return. That, what, what happens with the Regal Tourx is going to be quite interesting, I think, you know, to see if, if they get any sales with that thing. Once you mean the, the sport back or whatever it's called, not well, the Tourx? Yeah, the, the Tourx is the wagon. wagon. I'm sorry. Right, right. The, sport, the sport back, sport is, back is the, is the yeah. hatchback. The, yeah. Right, right, right. The lift back. All right, I was wondering, what does Consumer Reports do with the vehicles you buy when you're done testing them? 
So we sell them. Um, first, uh, we let uh, 600 employees of uh, Consumer Reports uh, get, get their chance. Uh, if not, then uh, they go to the to auctions, and uh, sometimes we trade them in for new cars. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty good process. Um, I I've had family members buy it, you know, because we we drive the cars hard. You know, we go through a lot of tires, but we don't abuse them because we know that we're going to resell them. Because as a nonprofit, well, it's not we, like we do we anything that, that uh, the car wasn't designed to do. Right. So there's going to be some uh, maybe accelerated wear and tear on tires and brakes, but uh, that's but it's not like a course. rental car. It's not like, right. you know, a lot of uh, 5,000 RPM drops in the drive and stuff like no. that on the record. Um, are there any all-wheel drive electric cars yet that are not Teslas? No, not okay. yet. Next question. Can, yeah, move on. Why do you keep saying 200 miles when the Chevrolet Bolt gets 238 miles, according to the EPA? That extra 38 miles is significant. Well, we're, we've got a Bolton test, and I think we've, uh, we've, we've been pretty impressed with it. And GM actually said early on that the Bolt would get more than 200 miles. So maybe that's some stuff that, that has been out there. You know, the EPA number's 238, and, and we've talked about that. But what's been experienced without giving away too much, because we still haven't finished the testing yeah. on, on the Bolt. Impressive, uh, really impressive. And we can't wait to let everyone know about the numbers because we're in the process of it. Uh, but um, when we were doing the range testing the other day, um, it was really surprising how, how far that car can go. Yeah, I, I love taking it home uh, and just driving around and, and found so often that using the, the paddle brake, you know, the, the regenerative braking, the regenerative braking paddle, behind yeah. the, the, the uh, steering wheel, yep. um, and then even keeping it in the, in the battery mode, I would almost have similar range at the end of my trip if I was really observant. If I wasn't observant, it was it would still go without. I didn't have any range anxiety. You yeah, know, and that's with AC and and you know driving hard on the highway. Right. So and the thing with that paddle is it is it, it that the, the bolt doesn't have a great braking feel. So actually using the paddle uh, makes the braking better uh, because it adds brakes, but it also actually somehow makes it. Uh, makes the feel better as well. So you don't, because sometimes you come to a stop and you're like, is this thing breaking? Uh, but the paddle helps considerably. And it's just kind of fun to see if you can use the paddle without using the actual brake pedal. Yeah, it's almost like left foot braking with your yeah. hand. As yeah, someone yeah. who's taken the bolt, and, and you'd have a long commute. You know, right, you're, yeah, and I've taken the home several times, right. uh, even over weekends. And uh, let me just add to the 200 uh, miles here. Initially, uh, we tend to be a little cautious and because in our experience with some past EVs, electric vehicles, we've found that the range, the real world range is less than uh, the claimed range. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, as you said, uh, we're almost done with the, the bolt. We're just buttoning down some final things, but I can say, stay tuned. It's comfortably over 200 miles with, with a bolt. So the next question we'll move to, I get that advanced safety features are not standard on all vehicles, but it's an option on many, but is it an affordable option? What's the difference in price between the different automakers? I think it's important information to know and compare when shopping for your family car. I, my opinion is that when it's most affordable is when it's not packaged with anything else. You know, if you can get the feature, that's key because you don't want to get stuck with like a situation that many of the luxury car companies have. Not all, but they'll make you buy two, three, four thousand dollars of options in order to get then the $1,300 feature for forward collision warning or automatic emergency braking. But like it, it, it varies. Uh, and the way to look at it is, is just to price out a car with the, uh, this equipment. So uh, it, it ranges. I mean, you can get an $18,000 Toyota Corolla 
with the, the uh, AEB and all the advanced safety features standard. Or right. you can uh, get a Chevy Equinox uh, that will uh, force you to get the Premier, and on top of the Premier, another uh, package that contains uh, all these features, which will bump the price by $6,000. And it doesn't have any bearing on the effectiveness of the system either. You know, then you have the worry, you know, the concern about how the system works, price independent. Yeah, I mean, right. it's, it's great that Toyota is making so many cars, so many other cars, uh, you know, with, with this standard AEB. Um, I did some pricing on a, on a Subaru Impreza, and, and that's the thing is that you can't even get it on the base, the base 2.0i, you can't get the eyesight system. Uh, you have to step up to the, to the 2.0i premium. Right. And then it's part of a package, which is $1,395, um, and now you're looking at a $23,000 car when you were starting you know, under 20. So the fact that you, know, you can't, it should be something that you can get on every single trim uh, you can't even get it on that trim, and, and really, it should be standard on every trim, regardless. Is what what we feel here. And exactly. So it's it's in, but it is interesting how the pack the the way they package it means that it's more expensive with some cars than others. But uh, usually, it's somewhere around fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred, maybe two thousand dollars. Sometimes yeah. a lot more expensive than that. Well, I looked in on a CX five, a Mazda CX five. Excuse me. Um, you have to pay. You pay about six hundred twenty five dollars to be able to get. Uh, the, the high speed forward collision warning with automatic emergency braking. Low speed is standard, standard. on it, which is very nice. So you get about $26,000 for a touring with that. A Subaru Forester is $29,000 with eyesight, like you said, 27000 without. So at that point, okay, you're, you're spending less, you're spending about three grand less, but then there's the effectiveness of the system, and that's a whole different story. So at the end of the day, yeah, it's great that you don't have to buy it with a package or Mazda makes you move up instead of buying it on the base model and then adding, layering it in. It's really what the vehicle is for you. If getting the, getting the feature um, and then looking at how what, what we say about it when, in our write-ups. Another quick question about uh, our car fleet. You keep saying rented when referring to press cars. Why do you rent them? Aren't they meant to be for you to test? Okay, so uh, first of all, we buy all the cars that we test uh, that we formally test. There are going to be some occasions where we uh, borrow cars, but we pay for these loans. And, uh, <clears throat> and these instances are when before the car goes on sale. So we want to have some content, some high level, uh, big picture kind of content on the car, which is not to say that uh, this is a replacement for the full uh, yeah, formal like road test. Yeah, it's like a first test. drive or something so like it, that. Exactly, right? yeah. it's a first drive. But uh, yeah, we, uh, we say rent because uh, we pay for these loans and that's uh, as simple as that. Uh, we like to be independent, we like our uh, no strings attached, uh, and we don't like getting any favors from anybody. And that's pretty much, like, uh, pretty much unlike any other uh, you know, auto publication, to my knowledge, in the country that, that uh, we do this and we do this so that we do remain uh, there's no question that we're unbiased. You know, we're not getting free stuff from, from anybody. Yeah, we're, it, we're just making sure everyone knows we're above board. We're not taking yeah. something in return for a review or anything right. like that. Right. Um, okay, so our final question. CR experts, what car do you recommend for a teenage boy that is just about to start driving? I'm thinking about a VW Golf or Jetta, Mazda 3 or Subaru Impreza. I'm open to any other suggestion, but I'd like to stay below $20,000. Well, I mean, I think all, all three of those are, are good choices. Uh, you're you're going to be it's going to be hard to get a Golf under twenty, um, the Mazda three and the Impreza. You can get just barely under twenty. 
Um, New. New, if you're talking new. And I think that's what he was talking about. Um, So you can get those cars, the two, two, Mazda 3 and the Subaru Impreza. But I mean, are you going from the perspective of the parent who might be buying this car or the kid? If I was the parent, I think I'd want him in the Impreza because that's uh, that's the least interesting to drive of those three. And so I don't want the kid going out and, and, and being too excited and getting in an accident. From a kid perspective, I think the most, the most fun to drive, the most interesting to drive of those three is the Mazda 3. So I personally would, would vote for the Mazda 3. Well, let's connect this question to the previous question with the advanced safety systems. Uh, if I were the parent, uh, the kid would be in the Impreza with the, with the eyesight. And uh, you can't get these uh, below $20,000. It's going to be $22,000, $23,000, but it's totally worth it. Uh, the Mazda 3 and the Golf, uh, are, there's no way you can get those with the active safety systems below $26,000. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw in a whole, uh, a whole other monkey wrench to this. What about leasing? My brother-in-law just looked into doing this for his 17-year-old daughter. Ended up leasing now slightly more expensive a Forester, but you know they got a low low mileage lease on the Forester just because it, they knew that she wasn't be driving that much, but they were able to get eyesight on on the car, and and that was that was a big thing. For sure, uh, I mean it's more of a, of a financial question. I mean if you want to pay two hundred dollars a month uh, for three years or two hundred fifty three hundred dollars yep. a month uh, for three years and. Uh, and you want to be in a new car and not um, get into your savings, uh, that's just fine. Plus uh, three years, you know, a kid goes to college, who knows, in, in, in four years you're going to be in D.C. and Chicago, who you don't need a car, so, uh, the only th- sure. The only thing is, though, I mean, you're talking about a teenager in a brand new car. I mean, it, happen- it happens, it happens you know, in the world. What I'm, saying, what I'm saying is that you're, you're looking at uh, possibly a lot of dents and dings and and you're going to be returning that car with potentially some some damage, you know, if you do a lease thing. I'm just saying. I think that's, uh, you know what, I think that's old thinking. I think if you have a kid, you want him in the safest uh, car that you can afford, period. What I think we'd like to hear is hear from people about what you do with your kids. And on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode of Talking Cars. Remember, leave your comments and questions in the show notes below. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time.